Hey, welcome again to our next Genesis podcast. Uh, today, as we record this, it is, what is it? August 23rd. That's right, Sunday, August 23rd that we're recording this time. We typically record on Fridays, but we had to skip last Friday because I have the COVID. That's right. Uh, diagnosed with COVID, had bad fever on Friday, so I'm feeling better today, so we were able to record. So... Right now, as always, I am still Scott. And I'm Brad. And I'm COVID-free. And this is not about us. All right. Uh, so now, Brad, you say you're COVID-free, but we've had this discussion. We we believe we've essentially had COVID for a while. Yeah, I believe I actually had it before it was really in America uh, in any great deal. Um, I had a flu way back in like February, and at that time they tested me for flu, uh, A and B, and those were negative, mm-hmm. and they suggested that I had the rare type uh, C, and I had never realized there was a C at that point, but they said that... C for COVID. <laughs> <laughs> that, there we go. That proves it. But uh, my, my symptoms were very light, and I didn't really think much about it. And then, of course, it's not too many more months after that that there's the whole pandemic going on, and it made me realize, mm-hmm. huh, maybe I had it. <laughs> but So as we start this Genesis podcast... Uh, Really had nowhere I was going with that whole COVID talk. Just letting you guys know what's going on out there. And uh, we'll talk about it again when we hit our conversation piece. But before we go on with anything else, uh, Brad, why don't you start us off in prayer? Yahweh, Yeshua, Spirit, here we are doing one more Genesis podcast. One more attempt to bring glory and honor to you. Hallelujah, yes. To show your story, to show the things that are important to you for us, to try to dig into the word and learn even more about our awesome, awesome God. But as always, we'll say it every time, we can't do it. We need you. We need your love. We need your support. We need your encouragement. So God, will you be a father to us now and lead this conversation to the things that are important, the things of you. We invite you in as the honored guest. We love you. We adore you. So be it. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. And just on a brief note, just to wrap up this whole COVID thing, I brought it up in the middle of this. It really has no bearing on Genesis, but just to say, hallelujah, in the middle of this, we still praise you, God. We still thank you. I thank you for that prayer, Brad, and we just... In the midst of any garbage going on in all of our lives, I just want to encourage you. Just keep praising him. He's still God, and he, and he deserves our praise in the middle of any, any junk that's happening in all of our lives. Use that as an opportunity to praise him. Hallelujah. Absolutely. Total agreement. So anyway, we're going to get into Genesis 3.6, which is our next verse. I'm going to read a few verses all at the same time here. I'm not sure how many I'm actually going to get into today, but we're going to do Genesis 3.6 through Genesis 3.10. Right now, starting with 
verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And she gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves garments. And they heard the voice of Yahweh Elohim walking in the garden toward the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh Elohim among the trees of the garden. And Yahweh Elohim called unto the man and said unto him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. All right, so that's Genesis 3, 6 through 10. Might not get into all of that today, but it's all kind of connected here, so I wanted to include it at least once in a read-through. Let's go back to Genesis 3, 6, which we also read in our last Genesis podcast. We didn't quite get to Genesis 3, 6, but we included it as well, because some of the things here had to do with earlier verses, and we wanted to wrap them in all together, so I might be going over a few things that we've already discussed in the podcast previously. But in Genesis 3.6, the first thing I want to point out is when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was the delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. That word saw, we've gone over this word before uh, when God saw that it was good and, and, and other places. But this word saw, is again Strong's Concordance 7200. The word is ra'ah, and it means to see, either literally or figuratively, to enjoy, to discern, to approve, to provide, to cause to see. And the word picture is just ra'ah, resh aleph hey. And we've discussed this before, uh, so I'm kind of rehashing this word. One of the possible interpretation I came up with before was behold the Father through the Son or behold God through Adam. It's, it's to see. It's to cause to see. And so there's not really anything new in this word I want to point out. I'm just kind of highlighting the word again because it's talking about here when the woman saw. So she's, she's seeing. Well, physically, she's seeing but also she's figuratively, she's discerning, she's understanding. Uh, so, so that's pretty much what I want to cover here with that word. But what I want to notice, and Brad, I want to ask you, uh, what I noticed here and what I want to discuss, and when the woman saw. So is this the first time ever that she's actually looked at the tree? For me, this is not the first time she's ever looked at the tree. I think she's looked at the tree before. This is my perspective. But it's one of those things where you've... We do this all the time. Maybe it's your your commute to work, and you drive past the same things over and over and over again. You're seeing them. You, You probably even know where they are. You can remember where they are. You could tell somebody where that is. But then sometimes you take a different route or or you take a little little more time and then you actually really look at something and you start to notice the features of it you start to notice oh i didn't know it had a blue roof and a and a yellow door and a you Mm -hmm. know you you, you've seen it but unless you take your time to really you know to really stop and appreciate it and, and take in the full picture of it 
That's kind of what I'm seeing. She knows where the tree is. She's seen the tree, but I think she hasn't actually seen it. That was my take, too, for the most part. Uh, I think, I, I agree with you. I think this is the first time she's actually really noticed it, actually really focused on it and is dwelling. And and like you said, it's like, oh, that's what's going on over there. You know, it, it's, yeah, she's seen it before, but she hasn't stopped and really just paid that close attention. Really appreciated it. And, and I believe we kind of talked about this last time. In her mind, it was already kind of taboo. It was already yeah. so. So why pay attention? Wh- why to it? pay attention to yeah. it? But now she's being kind of tricked into really looking at it, and she's maybe going, mm-hmm. "Actually, you know what? You're not wrong. It is a beautiful yeah. tree." So just like we, you, you had a, a good analogy there. Buildings you've seen on the way to work or or wherever you're going, number of times. Now you stop and go. Oh, that's, you know, and and now you really see, and I likened it to just like the way we are seeing new things from Bible verses we've known all our lives. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, just how many times have we read something over and over and over, and then now, you know, how many times have have I read something to you, how many times have you brought something up to me, and we go, I've never seen that before. The number of times I've read this, I never saw that was in there. Well, lately with us both doing our studies and having our conversations, it's been pretty much every Friday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's kind of the way I picture. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she's seen the tree. I At least that's what I believe. I can't confirm that. And I want to point that out is maybe this is. Maybe, honestly, this is the first time Eve has actually seen the tree. I don't know. Maybe God said, it's a tree in the middle of the garden, knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of the fruit. And so maybe they just said, all right, let's not go there then. Uh, let's not, let's just not even, I, I don't know that to be sure, but I'm with Brad. I, I get the feeling, and this that's all it is, just a feeling, just conjecture. You don't have to go with us. This is not God from on high saying but that's that's my general feeling. Is this is the first time she's really truly paid attention to it? But um, a couple things I want to throw out here as we move on. First of all, I do notice a pattern of three here. The tree was one good for food. Two a delight to the eyes. Three to be desired to make one wise. There's three things listed indicating that there's a perfection here. And all I, I'm not exactly sure what. In what way this makes it perfect, I, I couldn't really come up with that, but I did feel that that reinforces the fact that this tree is of God's design. It's not evil. It's not an evil thing in and of itself. Then I went into the word delight, and I found something I thought was pretty cool. Now, the word delight here, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, I want to point out something that Delight. I'm again, for those of you who don't know, haven't listened to previous podcasts, I read from the Hebraic Roots version. So the King James Version uses the word pleasant. So in case you're reading along with the King James and you say, I don't see where he's he's seeing that, the King James Version uses the word pleasant. Now this word is Strong's Concordance number 8378. The word is ta'ava. And something I found was really neat. It means a longing, by implication, a delight. 
Subjectively, it means satisfaction. Objectively, it means a charm. Now, the word picture here is ta'ava, tet, aleph, vav, he. And I came up with a few possible interpretations. In this basket is the teaching of a nail revealed. And remember, this is, it's a delight, uh, uh, which means a longing, a desire for this. Now, on the flip side of this, on, uh, you know, that, that could be like a longing for God, a longing that he's placed within each one of us. You could think of it that way. Is the ba- in this basket is the teaching of a nail revealed to fill that longing. But the word picture could also say the gentle snake hooks us with revelation, <laughs> which is exactly what's going on here. Right. We've talked about that before, the gentle snake, the snake being subtle and the snake possibly being uh, uh, mockery or, or uh, fulfilling the role of the Holy Spirit in, in an evil way, you know, trying, trying to be the Holy Spirit, trying to be that angel of light and, and do what the Holy Spirit should be doing, leading us into deception. Another thing I came up with is, behold, as Adonai surrounds us and joins us to him. Again, the real longing that God puts into us might not be applicable to this particular story, but I, I just found it cool uh, as one of the word pictures that goes with this word delight. And I want to leave that. I want to come back to this in a second, but something else that I noticed that was pretty cool, and to get into why this is pretty cool, I want to go back. Genesis 2.9, and the word delight is used there and in fact the word delight is again pleasant in the king james version uh it's used a number of different times in the old testament and that word is kamad and it means to delight in means beauty greatly beloved a delectable thing delight desire goodly a precious thing on the negative side it can also mean to covet to lust so it's talking about something that's beautiful, something that's to be desired. Uh, and, and Genesis 2.9, uh, for those of you who don't know, specifically, uh, it's, and out of the earth made Yahweh Elohim to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So it's just talking about every tree in the garden was enjoyable. It, it was pleasant. It was, it was a delight. It was enjoyable to look at. Uh, uh, a delight to behold, if you want to think about. Uh, so would you get a, a good impression about, you know, every tree being pleasant, delightful from, from that description that we just read there? Yeah, when you especially look into that word, it makes it even better. I think it's, I find it funny, English, we, we say pleasant, and we just, we kind of limit that word as, okay, it was pleasant. When you say delightful, you know it sounds mm-hmm. it sounds even more. So, yeah, they are delightful. They're yeah, they're beautiful. All of those trees had beauty, greatly beloved, a delectable thing to, to delight, something to be desired. You know, it's a precious thing. Now, here's the interesting thing: this word delight, Strong's Concordance eight three seven eight, a longing, is the only time it's used in the Old Testament. Really. Right here. 
that I could find. There might be some other uses from, from what I could determine when do, uh, at least when it's defined as pleasant or delightful. Maybe there's another term out there that it could be interpreted that this Hebrew word was used. But the only time I could find it used was this right here, Genesis 3.6. This tree, this particular tree, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. So there's a longing here. This one is defined different. The other trees that are defined as pleasant and delightful, uh, essentially the word means beauty. You know, just, just enjoyable. This particular tree, pleasant, delightful, means there was a longing. There was a hunger for this. There was something drawing uh, about it. And I found that very interesting, that it's solely this tree that's defined that way. I don't really have any other conclusions to go along with that. I just found that fascinating. This tree is unique. And again, we miss that in English, that pleasant, delight. They're used interchangeably many times in the Old Testament. But in the Hebrew, this one's different. Nowhere else really to go with that. (laughs) But yeah, something to ponder, something to consider. The tree with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, it, It was unique. And we already know that. We already know that it was unique. There was only one tree like it in existence. There is only one tree like it in existence. But here we also have the Hebrew word being the only time used to define it. And again, I could be wrong. That Hebrew word could be used in other places. Just in my research, I couldn't find it when, when looking up anything that had to do with delight, anything that had to do with pleasant. I couldn't find it in the Old Testament. It was not, this particular usage was not being used again. That's interesting. Now, something else I found, and this, this was really cool to me, because I, I wrote this down. The focus is on the tree and not the fruit. If you go back, it's when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. She doesn't say that the fruit was good for food. She, just, she says specifically, when the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes. Then the tree was to be desired to make one wise. I, and I wrote that down. I, I noticed the focus is on the tree and not the fruit. And then what I did is after I wrote that, Brad, you posted, uh, I believe it was the eighth podcast of Genesis. Now, I re-listen to all of our podcasts so I can make corrections. I can go, oh, I was talking badly there. I can, I can adjust myself, you know, do things like that. And also so I can catch things that I forgot. Maybe I can, you know, catch myself. Oh, I, I messed up there. There was an error. I need to fix that. Things like that. Well, Brad, you brought up in Genesis, the podcast of Genesis 8, the definition of the word tree at that time that I didn't. And I had forgotten about this. And you brought up that at Strong's Concordance 6086, the word is eights, and that the definition can mean tree, but if do you remember this? It can also mean carpenter. Carpenter. Uh, gallows. It, it was, can also mean gallows. Yeah, I had a... And then several wood-related products, such right. as sticks, wood, things like that. But that made me realize the focus is 
the carpenter. The focus is the gallows, the event that saved us. The focus is not the fruit. The focus is the fruit giver. The word picture here, ayen, sade, I hope I'm pronouncing those right. Possible interpretation, fountain of righteousness. Possible interpretation, to see and desire, which again goes back to the fact that there's a longing for this. I'm still in kind of that place where I'm like 80% there. I haven't really come to a lot of conclusion. I haven't come to a final conclusion. Boom, mind-blowing, uh, a bright light in, in, the, in the mind that goes, that's it, oh man, it all comes to this. But I'm like 80% there. I see these fascinating images. They're all connected. Fruit of the event mm-hmm. should be shared we weren't ready. The event hadn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. The we didn't understand. Yes, we didn't understand the sacrifice yet. And if you go back and reread that, and the woman saw that the tree was etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, change that to, and when the woman saw that the carpenter was good for food, and a delight to the eyes, and the carpenter was to be desired to make one wise. And we realize that the focus is Jesus himself, and he's the provider of the food. And change that again. And the woman saw that the gallows, the event of the cross, was good for food. I mean, think about that. The death of Jesus, when, when you see that that is a good thing, and it was a delight to the eyes. I mean, that sounds horrible, but... It's a precious, precious thing that he gave his life for us. It, was des- it should be desired. And that the gallows should... is desired to make one wise. Wow. I mean, it all just, it's, it's coming together. I feel like I'm not there yet. I don't have every piece quite in place, but it's all, it's coming, it's coming to that place where I can I see it a little more clearly. Sorry, I'm mind blown right now. Mm-hmm. And here we are talking about this, and that's why, again, the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, it is not an evil thing. It is godly. It is, God knows good and evil perfectly, and this is part of his nature. And again, we're going to go back to here in Genesis, we see the end. From the beginning, we see the end of everything. And we see that God's plan from the beginning was to send his son for us to die for our sins, to redeem us all. And here we have a picture of that, that it, that is a desired thing. Okay, just a couple other things to, to wrap up this verse, Genesis 3, 6. And I, th- I believe I've mentioned this before. A couple things I think I mentioned in the last podcast, but I'm going to reiterate here. Now, I don't know what you thought when you heard this story, uh, Brad, growing up, but I always kind of got the impression that Adam was not there. I always got the idea that Adam was at another place doing something else and, and the serpent kind of came up, got Eve by herself. But no, right here it says, and she gave, and she gave also unto her husband with her. And 
And I mentioned this before, learnbiblicalhebrew.com. For those of you who are checking it out, learn-biblical-hebrew.com. Says, in, in the literal translation, it it's, should be translated more closely as, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. So, Adam's just been silent this whole time? And we kind of mentioned this before, as Eve also being a picture of the Holy Spirit, the serpent kind of being a picture of the Holy Spirit, you know, Satan manipulating the situation, going through the Holy Spirit to, to convince Adam, or a mockery of the Holy Spirit, basically presenting to man and woman, you know, through the serpent, trying to convince him that this can be trusted because he's coming as an angel of light. I've always wondered if this conversation, what the conversation was with Adam to get him to eat the fruit. Because I always thought Adam wasn't there. And I always thought Eve went, ate the fruit, then came to Adam. And I wondered, how did she convince him to eat the fruit? Now I'm seeing he's there the whole time. He's heard this entire conversation. So she picks up the fruit. She eats the fruit. She doesn't die. She says, wow, this is wonderful. Here, you try. He's heard this whole thing. It would be more likely for him to just go, oh, okay, I'll try it too. I don't know. It just seemed to make more sense to me if he's heard the whole conversation. Yeah. And then again, we mentioned this before, that Eve takes the fruit, then eats it. Now, she misquoted in Genesis 3.3 that God said, don't eat it, don't even touch it. God never said that. So here, we mentioned this before, when Eve took of the fruit and didn't die, did that embolden Eve to eat once she touched it and lived because of her abusing scripture, so to speak? She re-quoted, she, she twisted scripture, so she had the false idea of what God said. Did that lead her, did that help her do the wrong thing? We've mentioned that in the last podcast. Yeah, basically, she thought she couldn't even touch it when she was able to touch it. Oh, I didn't die. Mm-hmm. So I'll go one step further. I'll eat. Yeah. If I touched it and lived, then then I guess I can eat it and live too. So we've already touched on that, so I won't go on any further. I just wanted to bring them up here because they are part of this verse. Now, Genesis 3, 7 says, And the eyes of both were opened. And they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves garments. I want to point out here, John 9, 41 says, Jesus tells the Pharisees, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see. Because of this, your sin is maintained. Genesis 3, 5, the serpent says, Then your eyes shall be opened. I maintain the fact, to me, uh, again, you guys might disagree with me. This is just something I believe. I maintain that the fruit didn't kill them. The fact that they sinned once they knew good and evil did. When they were blind, they were innocent. When they could see, now whatever evil they did was held against them. Again, to see uh, is to understand. 
to see literally or figuratively, to discern. Uh, I think that's what killed them. The eyes of both of them were opened. That's what causes them to die. Now they can see good and evil. Now they understand good and evil. Now they're go it's going to be held against them, whatever sin. Again, like Jesus told the Pharisees, if you were blind, you would have no sin. Why? Because they can't understand they're doing wrong. Eyes. Strong's Concordance 5869. It's pronounced ayin. And it means an eye, either literally or figuratively. Now, this was interesting too. Now, Brad, we've talked about this before. The word, or the, the Hebrew letter ayin, also the word picture is eye, to see, to experience. Uh, the appearance of something, to understand. And it also means, in the middle of this, it means a fountain. And we've kind of talked about this before. I, I believe we brought it up several podcasts ago. Fountain, where did the fountain, where, where does that come into all this? Just a fountain in the middle of all this being seen and understanding terminology. This is what I found out. An eye, uh, now the eyes, 5869, ayin, uh, it means an eye, literally, literally or figuratively. By analogy, it means a fountain, as in the eye of the landscape. So if you're in a plane looking over, you know, a grassland area, and you've got a fountain right in the middle of that, if you picture it as like the eyeball or the eye in the middle of the landscape. I see that. And that's where they get fountain. I, you know, I... Thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, it also means these word. This word eyes means outward appearance or color. Now I found this fascinating uh, for another reason is because it's spelled ayin yod nun, and then the first letter ayin, essentially the word picture for that is almost identical to the definition of the word itself, eyes. In ayin, we have eye, to see, to experience, to understand, a fountain. In ayin, the word, we have eye. By analogy, a fountain, outward appearance. But in the entire word picture, ayin, yod, nun, the possible interpretation I came up with is understand the finished work that gave you life. See it, comprehend it. So that was just, I, I found that fascinating. Uh, a couple of those things that ayin, <laughs> actually, the word for eyes, ayin, is pronounced the same as the Hebrew letter ayin. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're so connected. And to me, it, it does, it goes back to speaking of two witnesses. And, and just the, the two witnesses testify of something. And it's like we've got two witnesses here speaking of the importance of vision. The importance of seeing and discerning correctly. And we're pointing this out in a story of the very fact, uh, of the very first, the fall of man, where they, they saw and discerned an incorrect truth and it led them to destruction. Well, and personally, I find it interesting because in my revelation studies where I'm at right now, uh, it's been very much about looking into the word see, what, what look, he's coming. You know, see, look, behold. Yeah. It's just uh, 
it begins with this, but it ends with this. We're getting the ending from the beginning again. It's just fascinating. Mm-hmm. And just the importance to all of you listening, the importance of vision, the importance of seeing God truly for who he is, not what man wants him to be, not what we personally selfishly want him to be, but seeing him correctly. Yes, truth. Now going on uh, that phrase, and made themselves garments. Now before I move on, did you have anything else to see, to see, to say? (laughs) about to say about see to say about vision or anything like that no uh well okay maybe uh, <laughs> in a way we you're touching on this now and it kind of is uh it's kind of the same opinion that i had when i looked into the greek for see and i made a connection that that was also a uh figuratively that was also uh, see him in in your mind mm-hmm. and so i made the connection that the way we see god uh, is also how we should love God. We should see him with our mind, our heart, our soul. Um, you know, the way we see him is the way we love him. I, and, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm in mind-blown no, stage still. So my thoughts are not, mm-hmm. they're not here. I'm like you. Uh, you're at 80% right now. I'm at like 60 because you've had a little <laughs> bit more time to think about it than I have. I'm at 60% of a good thought. <laughs> Uh, but it's not quite here yet. But yeah, no, just I find that fascinating. Here we're talking about C. Even when you go to the Greek later, uh, it's you can still make a connection there. You need to see him the way you love him, with your heart, with your mind, with your soul. That is cool. And 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 it is cool that we're not at 100% here and we're acknowledging it. I just I hope that's an encouragement to everyone out there that we don't have to have all knowledge in order to move on. Right. Um, and you don't have to be perfect in order to express your love for Jesus with the rest of the world and to teach and to feed and to minister. You don't have to be perfect. We're all growing together. Hope this ministers to you. And, and we've said it before, please send us your thoughts on some of these things. Hey, I saw this that you didn't see. But now let me move on to, as I said before, and made themselves garments. It occurred to me, this is the very first time they're not receiving from God and his blessings. But they're making their own things. And we've talked about that before. He's in the garden with the trees, with the fruit. He can just take whatever he wants. He's not plowing. He's not sowing. He's not reaping. He's not building. He's just, he's just enjoying. And although he's, he's working to a degree, and we, we've uh, talked about that before, it's decorative. It's, it's essentially having fun. And right now is the first time that they had to make themselves garments. They had to do anything for themselves. Adam and Eve's first error was in presuming they could do better for themselves than God could. And now their first act following that error is to clothe themselves in a weak representation of clothing. I mean, think about it. This is the best man could do. <laughs> Sew a couple fig leaves together. <laughs> and, and we still do this t- today. Mm-hmm. We still think we can do better for ourselves. We don't need no one. We don't need a God. Oh, exactly. That, that's my point. That's the representation here. The physical representation of spiritual truth this very act is still going on. 
countless times in the world today. Mm-hmm. We are saying, uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat of the tree. I'm not going to obey God. I'm going after this myself. I'm going to do what I think is best for me because what I think is best for me is better than what God has for me. And this is the result. We end up with fig leaves and the, the glorious garments of God are sitting right over there going, you could put these on. Nope, got my fig leaves. Mine is awesome. Mine is better than yours. I'm good to go. He has armor for us and we're putting <laughs> yeah. on fig leaves. <laughs> yep. Now, the, another interesting thing about this, garments. Now, here's a, here's a point where I think the King James Version actually got it a little bit better. The King James Version in this uses the word apron, not garments. Now, they both come from Strong's Concordance 2290, and uh, there's a couple different ways to say it, and there's four different ways to spell it. The first two ways to spell it are both pronounced kagor. The second two ways to spell it are pronounced kagora, and it's essentially the same word, just a uh, masculine and feminine version of it, from what I understand. But the definition is a belt for the waist. It can also mean apron. It can also mean armor. Or it can mean to gird. But it's specifically referring to around the waist area. So that's why I think apron tended to fit better, at least in my mind. Garments is not bad, but you think of garments, I I don't know about you, Brad, but I think of garments as, you know, covering you, you know, the, uh, from the shoulders to the feet, you know, at least, at least around the way, you know, pants, shorts, maybe, but I think of shirt and uh, shorts or pants as a garment or, you know, a robe covering you. Yeah. And then some versions, it just talks about just covering the loins. You know, so yeah, no, you're right. I think of, I think of a very small, uh, almost bikini-like outfit here. Yeah. So I think apron does that better for me. It's like to, in revealing that they're just covering a small part of their waist right here. Right. And in the word picture uh, for this, now it was uh, chet or yeah, or cheth, gimel and resh. And a possible interpretation I came up with is pride cut off Adam. Yeah. So it, it seems to go in line right along with the story right here, which was a good word picture. But uh, that's what I, that, that jumped out at me. Now Genesis 3.8 says, And they heard the voice of Yahweh Elohim walking in the garden toward the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh Elohim among the trees of the garden. And before I go on, let me just kind of apologize if I kind of seem to be a little bit hazy or a little bit, I don't know what's going on next. I'll just kind of go here. Uh, Still kind of the after effects of the COVID going on. So I apologize if I'm sounding like that. It seems to me like I am, but I'm not sure. I'm a little bit hazy still. COVID brain. (laughs) But... Some of the things here was pretty cool. Now, first of all, I stopped with that word heard, and they heard the voice of Yahweh Elohim. Uh, that's Strong's Concordance, number 8085, Shammah. 
and it means to hear intelligently, often with the implication of attention or obedience, to understand. So what this word means is you're not just hearing a sound, you're just not just acknowledging that a sound exists, you are actively listening. This means to hear intelligently. In other words, to comprehend it, to understand what's going on, to be paying attention to the sound and to be able to put an analysis to it. So they heard the voice of Yahweh. Means they're, they're comprehending, they're actively understanding what's going on. Now the word picture here, shin mem ayin, couple things I came up with, uh, the water, from El Shaddai's fountain, and also, on a negative sense, experience the destruction caused by chaos. So again, heard is consumption, just like eating. When you're hearing, and you're hearing actively, intensely listening, you could listen to a false message, just like the serpent gave, and that leads you to destruction. Uh, what you consume through the ears, just like what you consume through your mouth, could fill you with strength or it could poison you. Now, this is why people join cults and, and do things that we think, how in the world could any civilized, intelligent human being do such a stupid thing? This is why Jim Jones and David Koresh and others got people to follow them because through the ears there we're consuming things and it's and it's changing us it's making us into different people just like if you consume this piece of food or consume that different piece of food it literally gets absorbed into your body it becomes a part of who you are when we listen to things this this is a picture of guys what are we listening to what are we consuming on a daily basis? What is the music? What, is the, what are the movies? What, what is it that we're listening to? What is it that we're lending our ear to and intellectually going along with and accepting that, that new age piece of propaganda, accepting that, that false bit of information that says, follow this, uh, and this will give you life. And we're, the, the ways, what, what I, I'm missing the verse, the way of deaths. There is a way that seems right to a man that only leads to death. Sorry about that. I was messed up, but I got there in the end. Again, I'm gonna blame it on COVID right now, but in reality, it's just me and my imperfections. <laughs> See, to me, you're acting perfectly like normal, so. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> then I'll take that. No, it's just, just me. <laughs> I'm teasing you. Nah, it's always good uh, for me to make sure I get knocked down a peg or two uh, now and then. And actually often, it helps. But then I looked up the word presence. Strong's Concordance number 6440. And it's the word panim. Now, this is interesting because it's a plural word that is always used as a singular word. And... It can also be pronounced pa-ne, which is singular. So either one of them, they're interchangeable. Now, it means the face. That's it. Now, 
now it can be used, I take that back, it's the face, it can be used in a great variety of applications, both figuratively and literally. So there's a wide variety of words that can go along with this, but really it all comes down to the definition is the face. So the presence of God is the face of God. I mean, think about that. They ran from his presence. They hid from his presence. They were hiding from his face. Which is interesting because I recently talked about this in my last Revelation 1 too, why we can't see the face of God. Yes. They've sinned and now they can't see the face of God. Yes, and it ties in huh. so well, exactly, with what you'd been talking about too. It The, the presence of God, they were dwelling in the presence of God. So they saw his face constantly. Now he calls out, they hide from his face. He's obviously still there. He's obviously everywhere. This is God. He, he's everywhere in the garden. They cannot hide in a place where he is not, but they can hide from his active presence, from his face. That is his most intimate and personal place it's where he is the most intimate and personal with us, his presence. They didn't want to face him. They were not out of his reach. By hiding, they were making a declaration of desire that they did not want that level of intimacy right now. That's... Go ahead. It's just, I'm just thinking it's tragic. Yeah. I wonder, and, oh, I wonder after after they've been expelled and once they're linear beings and, and they're out of the garden, you know when you lose a loved one? Over time, you start to kind of forget mm-hmm. what they look like. You know how they made you feel? Yeah. But you kind of forget what they look like. You kind of forget the tone of their voice. It just makes me wonder if throughout his life, if Adam kind of forgot what that face looked like. He remembered it. He remembered how it made him feel. Uh, Yeah, I wonder. But it makes me wonder if he kind of just forgot what it looked like. And and I'm sorry, that just is painting a tragic picture to me here. Huh. Now, this scene also makes me think that it was common for God's presence to just arrive and speak. Uh, And they would always have responded openly and straightly, you know, so I'm inclined to think this isn't a surprise visit. This isn't a, this isn't a, uh, God knew they'd sinned and so he's just jumping in. This is a surprise inspection, health inspector here, ready to uh, check your place out. Didn't know I was coming. <laughs> sin inspector, did yeah. anybody sin today? <laughs> exactly. No, this, this tells me that this is just the time of day. God shows up. This is just his regular appearance. Uh, this is just God frequently coming and, and spending time with Adam. And it makes me think this picture makes, makes me wonder how many times do we hear God and hide? Yeah. How many times does God, God is regularly wooing us. God is regularly calling us. I've said this before and I'll say it again. God is not hiding from us. We're hiding from him. We can hear God. We can see God as clearly as we can hear and see each other. 
The reason we don't is not his fault. It's ours. How many times do we actually hear his voice and we run and hide? Because we're so guilty, we're so ashamed that we need to flee his presence in order to feel better about ourselves. Yeah. That's the key, in order to feel better about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Another minor thing I brought, I thought of here is panim being plural but treated as a singular. It goes back to the fact that uh, Eloah and Elohim, the plural in one, the, the, the triune God in one. It just, it just points back to that. So just a small little thing there. But his presence, the panim of Elohim, singular, uh, being treated as singular, but it's plural. Uh, so there's just, just a little thing to throw out there as we move on. I think I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here. Well, let me check our time. What's our time looking at so far? About 50 minutes. 50 minutes. That's about where I thought we were. Let's see. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and finish. Genesis 3, 9, and 10. Yahweh Elohim called unto the man and said unto him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I looked up called and it's Strong's Concordance 7121, Ka-Ra. Now, an interesting thing about this is Elohim called unto the man. So we think of this as a crying out to, shouted out to, you know, made a sound and, you know, in trying to get someone to acknowledge you. But every time in the Bible before this that the word is used, it means to name something, which is another variation of this word. Ka-ra can mean name. Uh, so all of the animals were brought before Adam and he called them whatever, you know. Uh, Eve is created, the, the, the woman is created, and she's brought before Adam and he called her woman. Even God called the day, you know, and he, he called uh, this period the night, and he, and he named things, essentially. This is the first time we see the word used crying out to get someone's attention. And this word can mean to name something, but it primarily means to call out to. Properly, it means to address by name, but it is used in a wide variety of applications. Now, the word picture here, kof, resh, aleph, I found something fascinating about this, but I'm going to say what it is, and then I'm going to move on. I'm going to come back to this. The guy behind the bull. I know. I See, you, can't, you guys can't see it right now, but... Brad just squinted like, what in the <laughs> world? <laughs> so I figured at, at first, at, that's, that it, I came up with that interpretation, and I'm like, why am I seeing that? And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, that is so appropriate. And I'm going to go on with, with why that matters. See, that was only 4% of an idea forming, so <laughs> a long way to go on that one. So now, then I went to afraid. And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Strong's Concordance number 3372, Yare. It means to fear or cause to frighten. Morally, 
It means to revere or to be in reverence towards. And then I'm kind of throwing this one out there, not because it has to do with what we're talking about here so much, but it means terrible. Uh, or it means terribleness or a terrible thing or a terrible act. And the reason I want to point that out is because there's a lot of times in the Bible where it talks about God doing something terrible or the terrible God showing up. And in English, we think of that word terrible as being a very, very bad thing. And it made me realize that no, it just means he's coming in his awesomeness. When it describes a terrible God, it just means he is coming in such a way that makes us fear him. It makes us realize he's God. And it goes back to this reverence, us falling on our faces before him. So I wanted to throw that out there before I moved on. But fear, cause to be frightened, morally to revere. Now the fear of God, we fear God because he's God. If we have fear of God, it's because we acknowledge we're human, he's God. You fear God because of who he is. You just, there's no, you know, I'm a bug, he can squish me at any time. I, I have to acknowledge his authority and power over me. He called down to the Israelites from the mountain and they were so terrified, never do that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, that, we fear just simply because of who he is. Mm-hmm. We love him because he can squish us like bugs, but he decided to love us. We fear because he's God. We love because he first loved us. Fear is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is to acknowledge who he is. It is not the end. The end result is love. But fear is the beginning. Fear is the starting point. And here we have Adam saying, I was afraid. Now, the word picture here, yod, resh, aleph. Possible interpretation. Read the work of Adonai. That will teach you to fear. Fear is just understanding he is God. So read. Read the the gift that he's given you in this Bible. Read that and understand who he is and fear him. Acknowledge him as God. Again, just one possible interpretation that jumped out at me. You might come up with something different and yours is absolutely correct if you're following uh, the word picture here. Adam and Eve hiding themselves. I want to say this. God knew where they were. When he called out, where are you? God's not going, hey, hey, I suddenly lost them. Where are my people? No, he knows exactly where they are. The question is for their sakes. And it's for our sakes. Where are you? It was to get them to realize their position after eating the fruit. Adam and Eve hiding themselves from God reveals their spiritual condition. It's the very first time Adam feared God. Before this, he'd never feared him before because he was innocent. He was naive. It was just daddy. It was just, I love you. This is wonderful. This is the first time he is afraid. Now, for one thing, this made me think of Aslan from C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, among his other books that Aslan's in. But this is a quote from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. 
God is fearful. He is to be feared. He has power. He has tremendous power, just like a lion, just like Aslan in, in that book. He is to be feared. And that is a correct thing. But he is safe. He is love. And that is why we love. To start from that place of wisdom, to start from a place of fear and realize you're a sinner worthy of death and he is God and he is almighty. He not only has the power to crush you, but he has the wisdom and the justice and the the omnipotence, the knowledge to know that you are a sinner, you deserve death, and he has the ability to grant that death to you. Yeah, I would argue you'll, you'll never properly repent if you don't understand mm-hmm. that God can destroy you. And you deserve it. And you deserve it. Yes. But then to know that he gave his life for you, then to know that he loved you so much that he did everything to, to save you from that, that is what will lead you to true love. Now, I'm going to read a couple things from a book I've mentioned before from Rick Joyner called The Final Quest that had to do with this. And I've already mentioned them briefly, but I think he paints a better picture of it here. I'm going to read you two places. The first is from chapter four, The White Throne. The second is from chapter five, The Overcomers. I'm just going to read it continually. So if you're just, but I wanted to point that out just in case you're reading and like, hey, he's including this as one section and it's not. Yeah, absolutely, it's not. I remembered what a friend had once said. When the omniscient God asks you a question, it is not because he's seeking information. I began to understand that when Adam's transgression caused him to hide from God, it was the beginning of a most terrible distortion of what man was created to be. It brought about a severe reduction of our intellectual and spiritual capacities. These can only be restored when we come out of hiding and are genuinely transparent. This means opening ourselves to God and to each other. It is as we behold the glory of the Lord with an unveiled face that we are changed into his image. The veils caused by our hiding must be discarded. The Lord's first question to Adam after his transgression was, where are you? In the same way, it is the first question we must answer if we are to be fully restored to him. Of course the Lord knew where Adam was. The question was for Adam's sake. The question was the beginning of God's quest for man. The story of redemption is God's pursuit of man, not man's pursuit of God. When we can fully answer this question, knowing where we are in relation to God, we will have been fully restored to him. But we can only know the answer to this question when we are in his presence. End quote. For those of you who want to make sure, you know, everything I say now isn't (laughs) quoting from the book. Now I want to go back. The guy behind the bull. The bull. Aleph. The bull. Is Yahweh. Is Adonai. Is Father God. 
So let's go back to the word picture for called that I came up with, the guy behind the bull. And we've talked about this before, Yahweh being the bull. I, I don't know if you remember this, uh, but uh, we talked about Aleph, uh, meaning an ox, strong leader. And we talked about how it also means gentle, tame, and the bull. out. And you think about it out in front of the cart, uh, pulling slowly. It's got all this massive power, but it's doing it gently. And it's walking forward. And it's not bucking. It's not, you know, it's not doing anything crazy. It's not attacking. It's just very gently moving forward, doing its thing, and we are led by it, right? Do you remember that conversation? Yeah, I definitely remember that. So this word calling, and he's calling out to all of us, where are you? And if you picture in your mind, this is what I did, picture a man plowing with the bull leading, and you've got uh, that, that big wooden plow that's digging divots into the earth. You know what I'm talking about, Brad? That uh, the bull is pulling forward and, and the plow is, is, you know, you're tilling up the earth, you're, you're plowing. Yeah. You're plowing the earth. And the word picture here is the guy behind the bull. And he's calling, he's calling to us. He's calling out to each of us. Where are you? He's calling out to each of us. It's, it, it's uh, properly to address by name. He's calling to each of us by name. And he's calling out and he's offering. He's our leader, but he needs us. He needs us to be a part of his work. Right. I want you to be with me. The guy behind the bull. It's the bull putting all the strength into it. It's the bull that is plowing that thing. But by his design, he wants us to be part of it. We've spoken about this before in in water and in the mist that came up out of the earth uh, in a previous podcast. And you had mentioned it before in a conversation that uh, that you and I had separate from the podcast uh, that how how important it is he wants us to be a part of all of this the water of the spirit coming out of the earth was the first time it watered the entire earth not the rain from heaven god could divinely go all right guys this is it i'm doing everything he doesn't want to do it that way he wants to work through us he wants each and every one of us to show everyone else his love. He wants us to be his instruments that he can, that he can use to, to spread the gospel, to love everyone, to fix this planet. He does everything. Make no mistake, I'm not saying we should accomplish this task. He has accomplished it. But he wants it to be spread through us. He's calling, be the guy behind the bull. That's why it jumped out at me. That's why at first I, I, I kept seeing that in the word picture. And something I see interesting here is the bull will stop if we walk away. Yeah. It'll wait there for us to return. Sorry, I don't know if that's interesting or not, but walking yeah. away, 
He'll no, still be there. Because he's still, he's gentle, he's tame, he's patient. Mm-hmm. He'll just wait for us to come back, and then you continue on. But as I read, huh. as I read the, the, the quote from Rick Joyner's book, the story of redemption is God's pursuit of man, not man's pursuit of God. It's God calling. It's God wanting each and every one of us. Come be the guy behind me. Come, come be a part of this. I'm leading. I'm pulling. I'm doing all the work. You come be a part of that. I don't know. That's what it meant to me. No, I, I love this picture. It's beautiful. So I guess we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. Uh, don't really have any boom uh, explosive conclusion or anything like that. It's just nice, nice spot to wrap it up for now. So as we've said before, and we'll say again, this is Scott. And this is Brad. And this has been Not About Us. <laughs>